Hey there, chocolate lovers. If you'd like to watch the video version of this podcast, you can find it on our Craft Chocolate TV YouTube channel. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Craft Chocolate TV. My name is Dylan. This is Lorenzo. Hi there. Lorenzo is somebody that we've been working with for at least、uh, five or six years on the equipment end. Which is how we actually make chocolate. So I figured that it would be fun to talk to Lorenzo about a lot of the equipment we use and then a lot of what industrial chocolate looks like, as well as things like starting from cocoa liquor and maybe starting from powder, which are areas of the chocolate world that are by far the largest. And maybe you could tell me some percentages of what. Percentage of chocolate out there is actually from powder or from liquor versus what we all understand better, which would be beans. So, yeah, wait, take it from there. I don't know. So, hello everyone.、Uh, I am、uh, a manufacturer of equipment、uh, and、uh, we serve、uh, both the bean to bar industry and、uh, the in- industries that make chocolate. Uh, out of、uh, liquor and butter, they are very different,、uh, and the approach is very different. I don't know the figures of uh, uh, how much chocolate is made out of liquor or or, or beans, or is、uh, acquired as coverture.、Uh, I can tell that among our customers, fifty percent make chocolate、uh, with beans, and fifty percent、uh, they are either.、Uh, Cocoa liquor and butter, or vegetable and, and fats. And that's changed、um, in the more recent years, right? There's more and more customers that are classified as bean to bar. Yes, it, 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 the, the the shift has been mostly within small makers uh, that were uh, just buying coverture, especially in Europe.、Uh, existing companies, maybe since、uh, generations, and at some point、uh, they catch this.、Uh, New wave coming from America, and they are looking again into the whole process. This、uh, changed in the last、uh, five years, more or less,、uh, much later than than America. So the the the, the wave arrived, and、uh, the approach is slightly different,、uh, less radical, if、uh, if I can say that. Uh, many of these so makers, when you say less radical, the bean-to-bar scene is less radical than it was, no, or less radical than the in industrial Europe, guys. In, no, no, within the bean-to-bar industry,、uh, in Europe they are、uh, less strict. For example, on the use of certain ingredients like lecithin, for example, they use maybe sunflower lecithin, but a lot of <clears> bean-to-bar makers do that because of the application of the chocolate. For example, many of them they do a rubbing. And doing a rubbing、uh, without、uh, lecithin, and I don't even consider without added cocoa butter would be almost impossible. So even、uh, the, the approach has been different、uh, even within the bean-to-bar industry. Coming back to your question,、uh, I would say that the majority still of the chocolate makers they don't make their chocolate. They buy that. They buy that from、uh, companies、uh, like Barry Calibo or Cargill or Blommers、uh, in the U.S. And that's fine、uh, because we also make molding lines. So、uh, for us, everything is okay.、Uh, what we are trying to push, even for their own good, 
I'm talking about the industrial makers, is that they can make chocolate, maybe not from beans, which is probably the most expensive uh, uh, way to, to get your chocolate, but from semi-ready ingredients like cocoa liquor and cocoa butter. Because it's so affordable to buy cocoa liquor and then finish the process on your own if you have it's, any type of scale. It's the cheapest way to make chocolate. Let's say that you spend, uh, I'm talking with metrics, but let's say that you spend five, six, seven, eight dollars a kilogram to buy couverture. If you make it uh, with liquor and butter, it's going to cost 50% of that. So this is the best way to have uh, a, an economy and to control your recipe. And this is why companies all over the world that you guys work with, as soon as they hit scale in the ice cream world and need enough of their own chocolate, they are switching to cocoa liquor lines yes. where they would buy a ball mill, starting from a ball mill, yes. and then some type of pump that would transfer sugar and they would make their recipe and complete it. That's exactly the case. It depends on the scale. We have even customers that make maybe 500 kilos a day because already that is uh, is worth to consider as uh, a, a switch from uh, buying couverture to make it uh, okay. on their own. That's an interesting so, metric. Some, yes, let's say that 20 metric tons is the, 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 the limit. Under that, maybe it's not convenient. Over that is already... 20 metric tons a year. A year, yes. And uh, I would say that 50% of our customers, independently from the industry, it can be confection, so bars, or users of chocolate for other industry like ice cream, as you mentioned, or bakery, or uh, uh, some uh, uh, niche industries like uh, healthy uh, products, candy bars, uh, uh, I mean, cereal bars, or um, uh, nutrition products, uh, or even uh, the ingredient suppliers, uh, which serve uh, pastries, bakeries, uh, small confectioners with their uh, ingredients, which they acquire from someone else. They have the convenience to make them on their own, we're talking about chocolate. We're talking about fillings as well. Products like spreads and, and similar stuff, which are not, uh, by the law, they are not chocolate, but they are ingredients for the chocolate and the bakery and the ice cream industry. So those are our industrial type of, of, of customers. And these would be lines up to how many kilos an hour? Uh, 1,200 kilos an hour. It's our maximum level. So one about a ton an hour. Uh, about um, one metric ton per hour, exactly. So uh, this is uh, the biggest size of, uh, of, of line that we manufacture and it starts from the preparation of the ingredients, so the melting of the liquor, the butter, uh, any other uh, liquid ingredient like uh, hazelnut paste, the loading uh, of those ingredients into a mixer and then the steps of refining and conching in a much more automatic way than the bean-to-bar industry. So this is one of the reasons because this type of solution uh, makes the product cheaper than the, the bean-to-bar because in the bean-to-bar industry you have still, for some makers, a lot of labor involved. So if you check the actual cost of manufacture of one kilogram of bean-to-bar chocolate, one kilogram of chocolate made out of liquor and butter and one kilogram of uh, couverture, the cheapest way is uh, liquor and butter. Right, and that'd be because somebody like Cargill or Calibo is 
processing on such a huge scale, like what are they roasting? Three tons an hour. Maybe more sometimes. Five, six tons an hour. And then they convert it into liquor, put it in, in bags and boxes, and then someone would buy a pallet of or of a container. Or, of or a container. And it's not just them, because a lot of countries at the origin are now doing this type, this type of job. So it's not given that you find blended liquors on the market. You can find even single origin. Among our customers in the countries manufacturing cacao, we have a lot of those that just do liquor or liquor and butter and they sell it to the US or to uh, uh, Europe. And there are even much bigger uh, uh, companies that do that uh, in a larger scale than our uh, to bar customers uh, in cacao countries. And uh, the cocoa, uh, the cocoa mass and cocoa butter, they tend to be a commodity as uh, yeah, sure. cacao beans. So, But that would not be the lowest part. The lowest would probably uh, maybe be starting with powder and that, some type of vegetable fat. That's another story. So... Something like compound? Would you would you mind explaining briefly what difference. compound chocolate is versus... Compound chocolate is whatever is not uh, uh, defined chocolate by the law. US, Europe, and almost every country have a, le- a legislation defining what chocolate is. Uh, it's all coming Which from... Which is something like 11% cocoa in, mass and butter. In the US. In Europe is different. In Europe is different, uh, and uh, in the UK is different. Australia is different. Even India is different. My understanding is it's not that different, though. It's just the way that raw materials are measured. Some it, it is different. For example, the cacao content in the US to define a product chocolate is much lower than Europe. I, I heard that's not necessarily true because it depends on when you're looking at it as a raw material. So something like starting from beans or from or powder. Yeah. So Europe looks at it as beans, even if they're starting from powder. And so they're able to write a much higher percentage, even though it's not necessarily true. It's you, slightly you correct me there. The percentage in Europe to define a product chocolate is slightly higher. I know both because uh, this type of definitions uh, are very important because many of my customers, they play very tight on these definitions because their products tend not to be uh, uh, very expensive. Mm-hmm. So Right, they're playing with their margins very they are closely. Playing with their, like, their for margins. example, I think in the US it would be you'd be measuring the actual milk powder weight, whereas in Europe you could actually use the weight of the milk yeah. instead of the powder, even though you're adding powder. So those are it uh, looks like you're adding a lot more by in, the, in, the in, volume of the uh, these the this type of this type of let's say uh, definitions are uh, uh, tricky they can be tricky one advice that i give uh, to many chocolate makers especially the newcomers uh, is to study those those laws in the us or uh, in europe because uh, many of them are playing uh, in in an area which is a kind of a gray area i i will say something that is not going to be popular but in some places, uh, what some people call uh, vegan chocolate, vegan milk chocolate, cannot be called chocolate because it can't even be called chocolate, yes, not just vegan. It's it cannot be called chocolate at all because, for example, in North America and in Europe, is very strict the definition of milk chocolate, and it has to be dairy milk. It cannot be oat milk. It cannot be uh, soy milk. Mm. 
or any other type of substitute. So big companies that are playing with that uh, type of market, they don't put chocolate on their label. They invent a name. And this is something that small makers should be careful with. And talking about that, we were speaking before about this topic. What, uh, the, what I see among the, the bean-to-bar makers is a kind of uh, a rejection of the... Uh, Sorry, I brought you this. Bye! <laughs> Thanks, Mom. A kind of a, a rejection of uh, the accumulated knowledge that the industry has, which is wrong. Uh, uh, many chocolate makers, especially the small ones, they think that whatever comes from industrial makers is false, is fake. Yeah. Which is not true. The, the goal of these companies was different, but the achievements that they, they, they got through the years, the knowledge that has been accumulated is very important. So we, we right. cannot reject that. We need to borrow from it. We, we need Certain to borrow. Things. We need to, to learn. We learned that as manufacturers of equipment from bean to bar and from industrial makers and any of the two is taking advantage of some of the modification. I give you an example. You have our machines, you know that uh, uh, they can be connected to internet. We can connect to them to uh, help you with maintenance and everything. Reprogramming These updates. Updates. Those things uh, were not available before for small makers. They are available because we have that type of, of knowledge from industrial lines. And at the same time, industrial lines now they enjoy some improvements on the machines that we had to have because of the difficult products that the bean to bar industry is doing. I think there's a false notion that big equipment and big scale equals poor quality, mm -hmm. which just isn't true because it really depends on the raw materials you're starting with. And so in a lot of ways, our chocolate improved significantly by using bigger and better equipment. Not only did we save a lot of labor time, and we, we bought our time back by buying nice machines, um, it allowed us to do things that were more important for humans to do, and we made less mistakes because we touched the product less time and the equipment did a better job refining or pinpointing what it was supposed to do, whether it was ball milling to reduce micron size at an even rate, things like that. So the big guys have excellent machines. They're just not in the same business model that we're in. So by borrowing their equipment and understanding of throughput and linking everything together, they're good you reduce a lot of your costs so that you can actually be a successful and thriving business and, and affect whether it's craft chocolate or buying from farmers or planting more trees or whatever you're trying to achieve through your business. The you know, more, that's kind of how I look at it. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, being more uh, competitive on the market uh, with uh, this type of chocolate, which is very expensive, we have to say that. If you buy a bar of an excellent chocolate in Europe, uh, maybe 70 grams is costing one, two euros, two euros, let's say. Uh, been to bar bar, maybe it's four or five times that, that, that money. Right, and, and most of that cost would be... Labor. Somebody's labored to do it in a grinder this big or, or even that big. Yeah. It's just extremely inefficient. Absolutely, absolutely. So, of course, it's not... Uh, automation is expensive. It has to make sense as well. Uh, 
you are one of the examples of those companies that grew with uh, with a sense over time uh, you invested in automation and uh, you you became more available it's not just a, a matter of uh, cost it's also a matter of productivity also of quality uh, right. machines if, are tools if craft chocolate's going to have a place it's got to be able to actually get out there and fill the store shelves yes and if Craft chocolate is so small that the store can't rely on the order showing up on time. That, 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 it's just never going to have a place. I agree with that. Uh, uh, productivity and cost are uh, things that automation can solve easily. And uh, also you spoke about this type of uh, uh, works that are repetitive. And human beings, uh, at some point, uh, they don't pay the same attention over time and they can make mistakes. Automation is there for those things. The humans, and this is something I, I want to clarify very well. That, that, that's a personal opinion. What, what's the difference between uh, bean-to-bar uh, or craft uh, chocolate and uh, industrial chocolate? You can still uh, make a lot of mistakes, even with automation, when you are a bean-to-bar maker. And that's part of the You can of make the much story. bigger mistakes. Yes. Yeah. You, can, you can spoil a product. Your decision your decisions are still affecting the final result. In an industrial situation, it's very difficult to affect the final result because everything is standardized. And uh, it's, it's not a, a negative uh, uh, aspect. I don't say that this is negative. It's just different. And uh, uh, both words are learning from each other. I can say that, in my opinion, Industrial makers are learning more from bean to bar than the other way around. Right. How Some do, makers okay, are... Okay, so I, in what ways? I've got my ideas, I, but... I told you, uh, whatever comes from the industrial research is rejected by most of the bean to bar makers. It's false, it's fake, uh, oh, it's Nestle, oh, it's Barry Calebo, oh, it's Cargill, so I don't trust them. Instead... Bigger manufacturers are all looking at bean to bar. They know about that. And what Many, do you think they're learning from? What What are they actually watching besides just the little industry as at, like a fraction of a percentage? They are looking at the growth. Right. They know numbers. They play a lot with numbers. Something that bean to bar makers don't do. And uh, looking at numbers and looking at the rate of growth of of, of the bean to bar industry surprised everyone. For them, it made no sense at the beginning, but now they are looking at that sense. And many of these companies, they keep buying couverture or making chocolate from liquor and butter, but they start a small unit yeah. of bean-to-bar manufacturing. I've noticed that mainly at the Salon du Chocolat in Paris. Yes. The first year I went was maybe like 2000, I don't know, 14 or 15. And I think I was one, I was, it was... Manoa Chocolate and Guitard yeah. were the only ones from the U.S. But then there was almost no bean-to-bar makers in the entire show, which I was shocked by. And then a few years later, they created a bean-to-bar village area yeah. because so much demand had come in. And so many of the people that came to the show, which I don't know how many tens of thousands go to that show, were most interested in the little producers who were talking about how they source beans and how they made chocolate. It's a and then they story. would go around and ask the chocolatiers with the big names, 
You make your chocolate. Yeah. So how do you make your chocolate? What machine do you use? And they're like, no, no, we don't make our own chocolate. And there was so much less interest in what they were actually doing. So they're almost being forced into manufacturing their own product, which I'd imagine you're seeing the results of as they buy machines from you. They are. They are. It's a true story. I told you the bean to bar for us started in North America and in cacao countries. And now Europe is booming. So, right. So, so can you give us an, uh, maybe a snapshot picture of what the U.S. looks like and what Europe looks like, or even globally, because you follow it more closely than anyone I know on a global um, perspective of what craft chocolate is or bean to bar on a small scale. So the uh, U.S. had uh, a big spike, let's say, five, uh, seven years ago when uh, tiny machines uh, were not enough anymore. So a lot of investments, uh, um, a lot of uh, uh, new factories, even people starting from zero at a higher level, not at the Stone Melanger tabletop level. Uh, and as I told you, uh, more focused on bars, if I can say, and um, uh, on this uh, clean label. Europe has some makers following the American wave, starting from many different industries, many different types of jobs, and getting into chocolate using you, meaning you, Dylan, or some other uh, uh, manufacturers like Dandelion, for example, as models. And uh, then there is uh, the other type of bean to bar maker which is maybe at the fifth generation fourth generation mm -hmm. uh, a, a chocolate company that abandoned the manufacture of chocolate uh, uh, 30 40 years ago because someone came there with a nice coverture uh, solving many problems you know how hard it is to run a company processing cacao beans and uh, yeah, there's a lot of extra steps yeah, if you start with beans yeah and the chocolate is unpredictable. So the manufacturer can give you even you, you, you think that you have done every step all the same and something is different. While when you buy coverture, this happens not as often or I would say almost sure, never. The big guys create an extremely consistent product, which Absolutely. is so hard to do when you're small. And when you don't blend, and but when even you, when you're big, I, I can see it being a major challenge, which is why they have to buy from what six different origins yes, and blend and then tweak that every year. Yeah. So, uh, they and what, what, what is important, as you said, they understood that there is a demand for a better story behind everything. This is uh, uh, this, this belongs to the chocolate industry, to the craft beer specialty coffee, the gin industry now, which is uh, very popular. Uh, so people are looking for a story as well. And if you are able to tell that story, uh, you, you catch more of the consumers. And so this is what the giants are looking into. So I was surprised in, uh, in I don't remember if it was the last uh, exhibition in Paris. No, it was before. I saw a video from Barry Calebo. They were using bean to bar as a slogan Barry Calibo yeah. they are processing I think Meiji was the first to do it yes they, a they, few years back five true. years ago or something which is true they are making chocolate from bean to bar but yep. the concept was different uh, but they know that this is this is selling so to the bean to bar makers I say 
do as they do with you. Uh, they learn from you. You should learn something from them. Then coming back to your question at the beginning, uh, what is compound and what is uh, used uh, for? Uh, in the industrial chocolate, uh, some products uh, have uh, some characteristics that cannot be matched by chocolate made with cocoa butter. So, uh, and also some costs are not uh, uh, matchable by a chocolate made out of liquor and butter, or let's not talk about chocolate from beans. So many productions, I don't know, in, especially in the bakery industry, for enrobing, for dipping, they use, instead of cocoa liquor and cocoa butter, they use cocoa powder, which is uh, the dry part of cacao coming out uh, of uh, the cocoa butter presses. You uh, press cocoa liquor, you take out the butter, and uh, the solids uh, uh, are then, they, they come out in the shape of a, of a cake. It's a hard disc, which is then ground into a powder. And that is uh, a, an ingredient that mixed with uh, vegetable fats like uh, coconut oil or uh, palm kernel palm, oil. Palm oils. Uh, they, they can make something that tastes like chocolate, not, not so intense, but decent. Uh, and uh, they are much, much cheaper than any on, of the chocolates that are defined chocolates Which by the law. I believe is what mostly would go into something like ice cream. Ice cream uh, is that one of the biggest the consumers of of compound and compound bakery chocolate. industry, bakery industry as well. Uh, so um, whatever uh, is enrobing, whatever enrobing uh, of uh, wafers, uh, cakes. Uh, I will use a technical uh, concept, molded ice cream. Those uh, ice cream that are, um, in, in America, you call them uh, popsicles, mm -hmm. dipped in chocolate. The layer of chocolate has to be so thin that you would have to use, if it was real chocolate, so, so much, much cocoa butter. Yeah. And that would, made it, would make it so expensive. Instead, coconut oil, cocoa powder, sugar, makes it uh, extremely cheap. Right, and then it and doesn't bloom. It doesn't bloom, but that, that because it's frozen, there is another important thing. It doesn't crack. Mm. Cocoa butter would crack. Coconut oil, palm kernel oil, they don't. There are some definitions for the various vegetable fats. Cocoa butter replaces, cocoa butter substitutes, uh, depending on their physical structure. Uh, the cheapest are the cocoa butter substitutes, which are uh, mostly lauric fats, like coconut oil and palm kernel oil the nut of, of the, the palm fruit. Uh, they are uh, very cheap. And uh, for some applications, they are uh, still compulsory. And this is, uh, I would say, one-fourth of the, let's say, one-fourth, even one-third of the total chocolate production, although this is not actual chocolate by the law. Whatever contains more than 5% of certain vegetable fats cannot be defined as chocolate anymore. So um, this is uh, a part of the industry. And as you said, we provide them the same tools that we provide to people like you. You have a chocolate which is considered the best chocolate in bean to bar chocolate in the world, not my world. Some people take you as a model and uh, they, they buy our machines because they taste your chocolate and uh, they are amazed by that. Right, and that's bean to bar or craft chocolate borrowing from industrial chocolate saying, oh, 
they've already figured out how to make really nice texture、yeah. and enhance flavor. So exactly, you, you make it very fine, very smooth, which is、uh, a, a, an achievement for、uh, most of the Binto bars because uh, uh, Stone Melanges they cannot achieve that type of fineness. Yeah, and, it's it's amazing. In three three days, you can、yeah. maybe get close to around twenty microns.、Yes. Things are not that consistent as far as the distribution curve of,、yes. of microns. And、Absolutely. then in three hours we do 120 kilos, perfectly, 15 microns, and then the same equipment is used to make、uh, the cheapest chocolate for、uh, the the spray of of cones for the impermeabilization impermeabilization of the cone for、uh, for ice cream, which is、uh, probably the worst thing that our machines make,、mm-hmm. and the technology is the same. So the the way you use the the, the tools. Is very important the ingredients that you use. So this, and I agree with you. This is the huge difference between、uh, the craft industry and and industrial manufacture. The apart the story that you tell, but the ingredients that you use. So any tool can be used in in many ways.、Uh, the way you use that、uh, is noble, and、uh, it gives you incredible incre- incredible results. But you can use it uh, even. Uh, In a different way, and there's nothing、uh, wrong with that. I mean, I'm not judging、uh, the the quality of the products. They have two different applications. Your chocolate would not would make any product、uh, enrobed with that or、uh, dipped with that extremely expensive. It's it's a different market. Right. So、uh, we say、uh, one of my customers said that the sun is there for everyone. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of、uh, room for everybody. Yes. So,、um, I think one question you guys touched on it quite a bit,、um, and a question we get a lot is when to switch from the melanges, which are the most common with bean to bar, to the ball mill. You know, because it's it's such a it's such a big leap in price and in scale, and that's something people are always asking because they know the ball mill is so good at achieving the fine texture and stuff. Yeah. So going going from a stone melanger like this, where it does twenty five kilos every three, sometimes four days after you've had it for a while, we had two of them before we then jumped to a ball mill. But when you jump to a ball mill, you need to be on the ground floor. You need well, you, it helps to be on the ground floor. You need three phase power. You need a pre refiner, and then you need uh, a, a well, generally a conch. Yeah. And so it's a huge financial step up. And starts to be real manufacturing for the first time. I would say there's probably a certain amount of tons that you would want to process. We got a loan at a great interest rate, which、yeah. is why we ended up s- skipping multiple steps by doing yeah, that process.、Did. And then、um, it really stabilized the business once we found our feet again,、mm-hmm. and everything started to work better. Because the idea for Manoa Chocolate is to try and continue to grow and and be a large Chocolate manufacturer. So I guess it depends on what someone would want to be. Does someone want to stay with two or three stone melangers, or do they want to get big?、Um, I would imagine at least having four or maybe more of those before going to a ball mill. And I wouldn't get the fifty kilo one. I would definitely get the one <laughs> thirty, just because you will grow into it, and it's、yeah. not that much more money to get the bigger model. And it's something that I've continued to learn is. Always buy the bigger machine if you can, because you will grow into it. And if you if you buy what you need, you're stuck. Yeah, 
I agree with that. Uh, and again, uh, using Stone Melanger has nothing wrong. If, you, for example, you have uh, a retail space, you don't want to grow. I have in my mind a, a very nice chocolate maker here in the US. She's very happy with what she has. She has a shop. Uh, she makes a wonderful chocolate. She doesn't need productivity. She doesn't want to grow. And that's a model. In her shop, she sells chocolate and other stuff. Nice. Right. Uh, but if you, if you want to be profitable only on chocolate and, uh, you, you need to grow. You need to have automation and because the sustainability of this business is based on the fact that the company can pay the bills, can pay the salary of the owner, not just of the employees, and maybe can make profits, which is the purpose of every So we, we have an intern that you met yesterday here. He just got here a few days ago, and he's looking at starting a chocolate factory, and I asked him, how much money do you want to make per year? Because mm -hmm. that kind of determines how big your company will be and how much, how many tons you have to produce and what kind of equipment you need. Um, so, and, and it's important to remember that when you buy bigger machines, you've just freed yourself up to go do the more important things like selling, sell the chocolate so you can actually stay in business. Yeah. That's one of my sentences. Uh, even if the equipment uh, is maybe too large at the beginning and you have to run it once per week or once each two weeks, it doesn't matter because instead of being stuck sorting beans or, uh, uh, reprocessing nibs slowly on. loading nibs into a exactly. grinder you can uh, look for customers you can explain your product you can talk with the suppliers you can go face travel. to face and do the human yeah. interactions which is extremely important right so this is one of the reasons I'm here <laughs> yeah and the, the bigger your machines are that the faster you'll end up growing into them because you that's just the way it seems to work just like when you have a certain amount of space you fill it in before you know it it's been that, like that, that every single you. time. Yeah. You are a particular case with that, but uh, I think it works that way for almost everybody, though. Yeah, true. Other makers are like that. Some others uh, were not. Uh, and then successful. one of the important things to remember is just the amount of storage that's needed. Yeah. Oh yes, the equipment is not. Your space is not. As the investment cannot be just the equipment, even your space cannot be just the equipment. You need a lot of space for uh, uh, ingredients finished product, packaging, uh, a tiny warehouse for the tools. Uh, so, right. So, so going back to what Carson was asking, when do you think it makes sense to switch? Cause you talk people out of buying your equipment we do. fairly often because yes. they're just, it doesn't justify it at that point. No, but I mean, so they, when they, do they you aim, think that makes they sense? They aim to a scale, uh, which is uh, so big, maybe as a first or as a second step, which would kill them. So this uh, cooling down uh, a customer is very important to keep having that customer for a, a longer time than just one purchase. So um, uh, I would say that uh, when you are already making uh, two, three tons per year of chocolate, metric tons, uh, you can look to something bigger. Uh, just to, again, to manufacture more, to be, uh, uh, I don't say cheaper, but more affordable. And uh, these are important uh, factors because uh, you might have a good product and someone at, at some point can knock at your door and ask for uh, a couple of pallets to be delivered uh, right. within a month. And you need maybe 
three months to make one pallet and no, that is not possible not possible and you right. lose and you lose an important uh, uh, what we notice is the customers just keep getting bigger as we're yeah. able to, yeah. to fulfill them otherwise people can't even talk to us because the market now now knows about this industry so so yeah. two or three times is really uh, small it is um, i'd say with two grinders going all the time i think we were doing four to five tons just with that can can i say something uh, it's not uh, how much you need those in that moment if you are able to sell two or three tons or four or four tons of chocolate it means that your brand took has, off has potential and uh, uh, by not giving to this brand uh, enough productivity and uh, a more reasonable cost uh, you are not letting it uh, grow and yeah, then you're not Dylan, feeding it, or you're not giving it what it needs so that was one of the next episodes i was thinking of is don't be afraid to reinvest yeah. back in your company oh, by buying what it's telling you to important. buy you're, very important your company's always invest. telling you what you need if you're yeah. paying attention because you'll True. feel the pressures in certain areas yes there's always whether it's a space bottom or machines or yeah. people very true uh, uh, absolutely uh, important to at least at the beginning to uh, reinvest in the company one thing that I have to say I told you before you have been very brave because you jumped from 1 to to 50 in terms of increase of production when you first purchased one of our ball mills and I understand that for you now the ball mill for 50 kilograms is small doesn't make any sense it's true but for many makers, this is a reasonable step. So when I say two, three, four tons per year, I would advise a, a, a jump as you did. Uh, you have been uh, incredibly brave and uh, time uh, showed that you, you were right. Uh, not anybody can do yeah, this type of someone's going to buy investment. a 50 kilo ball mill, they're already going in pretty hard. <laughs> Many so, of them. depending on what that difference is to the 120 as far as a price, yeah, it could it's make not, a lot of sense. It's not the double. To... It's not the double. Maybe it's 20-30% more. Right. Uh, you have to consider that. Uh, we were speaking about that before. A ball mill 50 doesn't go alone. You need to have a pre-refiner. Right. You, you already have to invest in the other things anyway. So, uh, you can decide within a line... Uh, what is the most important tool that you want to oversize. That happens. That happens. And it goes back to what you were saying as far as once you're doing four or five tons, the it already means that you've got some traction. Yeah. And so it justifies potentially going to that next level if you can get the bank loan and if, if you if you secure the space. But then you also have to have some money saved up. Yeah. You cannot spend all of your money in equipment. Uh, if you have an established company and you want to reinvest... Uh, Equipment cannot uh, be more than 50% of your new investment. But if you're starting from zero, this has to be even less. I would say 30%. That's my advice. 30-35% of your budget can be equipment because everything else is going to surprise you. Uh, the costs related to the location, to the, the cost warehouse. Cost of learning how to operate. Yeah, but this, even thanks to people like you sharing uh, uh, knowledge, this is uh, now almost solved. When you started, there was no knowledge available. You are one of those that are spreading uh, information, uh, sharing uh, your experiences. Many others do the same. Uh, today, it's easier. Today, is much easier to start a business. Uh, 
still uh, uh, you have to consider everything that uh, can go wrong uh, with your space, with the packaging, even with your marketing. So you have to be on the safe side. This is my this is my advice. When the business is new, you need to be uh, very careful on the size you start with. Uh, and this is just to prove that uh, we don't necessarily push for our machines uh, or for the bigger machines uh, among our uh, offering. Because it's important for a business to grow up uh, at the right rate. Well, and one, one last thing on the whole, like knowing when to buy the equipment and understanding that it's time to, to go to the next step. Whoever you buy equipment from, you kind of need support. Yeah. And very important. If you don't have that, you're almost dooming yourself to fail very from the important. get go. It's easy for me to say that because we have one of, I, I am so proud of our after sales service. Uh, we have uh, people available 24 hours. Oh, you guys and you have invested heavily into trying to support everyone with your yes. guys' equipment. And that's one of the, the best reasons that we go with Packant when we buy new stuff because we know that there will be uh, help Support. within a certain amount of time because we can't be down for too long anymore. Very important. We really want to continue to provide our chocolate in a timely fashion to anybody who orders at whatever scale that we can deliver on. So we try to behave uh, like uh, we want our suppliers to behave with us. So uh, having someone that answers the phone or uh, a, a WhatsApp message at any time is very important. You are saying that uh, being down for uh, one week uh, because something is wrong and you don't understand what is wrong uh, can be a very big problem for a company. And we, we know that. And uh, this is this this came even before uh, uh, being so present in the bean to bar industry. This is something we are very proud. It's kind about. of the same thing that we do. It's customer service. Customer service <laughs> is so important. Sometimes it's just. Uh, it's very easy to solve. Uh, and uh, again, with automation, with uh, remote connections, uh, you can solve the problem. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you require a spare part and uh, having them available, having uh, one of uh, our uh, biggest uh, investments was uh, the company that we established in the US. America has been uh, great with us, uh, but America needs commitment. So we have a branch here. And in many other countries, we have our agents present or uh, people that work for the company available anytime. And uh, this is extremely important to be reliable. This is uh, one of the things that we spent a lot of money on that. And we are happy that you are happy with that. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? No. I'm happy to be in Hawaii. Yeah. Out of that. After Th thanks years. for flying all the way out to Hawaii to be on Craft Chocolate yes. TV. That was really nice of <laughs> that you. That was the purpose. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cheers. Cheers. Goodbye, everyone. See you next time. Aloha. Hi, guys. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate if you subscribe and give a review. This helps other chocolate lovers like yourself discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great day.